you have your Bibles, turn to Habakkuk, the Old Testament. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. One of the things that you've heard a lot in your life, if you've ever grown up in the church, is the importance of living by faith. So today might seem to be a repeat lesson of that, uh, but I assure you, just as with anything that we do in the Bible, there's always something else that you and I can learn. So my goal this morning is not to simply give you a phrase that you've heard repeated, but to give you and I uh, a bolstering, if you will, in our walk of faith. An encouragement to keep going. A strengthening where you're weak. A comfort where you're hurt. Because living by faith is all of those things and more. In fact, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, the Lord answers Habakkuk with a statement, and a phrase that is used here at the end is repeated in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul as well. It says, the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much for this reminder once again from your prophet Habakkuk that though many of us struggle and go through life with many difficulties, we can, just as is stated in this text, live by faith. And we ask that you would help us see clearly how we do that this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to be looking at three things that it means to live by faith. Number one, believing the gospel, which I know all of us are familiar with, in Romans 1, 16 through 17. Number two, relying on grace, Galatians 3, 10 through 14. And number three, striving with endurance, Hebrews 10, 36 through 39. Number one, believing the gospel. It's a verse that you and I are familiar with. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul essentially here is quoting exactly what is quoted in Habakkuk. It is significant that Romans 1.17 contains nearly two identical Greek words that stress the idea of righteousness and just conduct. When you and I believe the gospel, we believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not in something we've done, not in something we've accomplished, but what he's done and what he's accomplished. In fact, if you were to see the translation here, it would be the righteousness of God in the broad sense, the state of him as he ought to be a condition acceptable to God. The righteous standard of God is one that only he himself possesses. And he passes that down to creation through the gospel, through the belief in the truth of Jesus Christ. You see, many of us, when we look at this text, and we're familiar with it based on many messages that we've heard, we see that the priority originally was to the Jewish people. But we also see that we've been included as Gentiles, that we've been given the same gospel, that we've been encouraged to live by this 
faith. Acceptance before God, though, is only found in the faith of Jesus Christ. You and I can't do anything about it. We can't be born into the family of God naturally. It has to be by faith. There's nothing that can be done to accomplish this either. The gospel is where it all starts for all of us. Every one of us that's been in the church for any amount of time knows that that was the entry point, if you will, into our walk of faith. Because before that, we didn't live by faith. We lived by sight. And that sight was many times just a, if you will, shot in the dark, hoping it works out. Unfortunately, what happens to many believers is we tend to neglect thinking through the gospel, and so the gospel becomes secondary to us rather than primary in our lives. Believer, you are never to get over the gospel. Paul never got over the gospel. Neither should you and I. And that's a question that you have to ask yourself, how much have I valued what Jesus did this last week? Like, look at this last week. You, you were busy. You had a lot going on. I had a lot of things going on. How much was the gospel on my mind? How much was what Jesus did on my behalf a reminder to me? You see, there are a lot of things that are easy to forget because you're so familiar with them. Isn't it true? You ever do things uh, with a family member, maybe your spouse, maybe your children, and you just do them all the time, and you think by default you're always going to remember, and then you forget? You know this is what you've always done, but you forgot it again. I mean, it's very, um, how can I say this, very obvious with my children. They know the chores they have, but somehow they forgot them again. We've done them for two years, they still forgot to do them. As much as we laugh at that, the truth is we are the same way with the gospel. We know the gospel. We're familiar with the gospel. We've been moved by the gospel. And I want to ask you this morning, when was the last time the gospel moved you? When was the last time that you pondered and thought about what it is that Jesus has done on my behalf? When was the last time that it brought you to tears or excited you that you were a child of God? You see, church, it's very hard for us to give something to the world that we ourselves don't possess, even in our own emotions and feelings, even in our own intellect. Because it's hard to give to somebody what you yourself don't partake in. It is hard to share the word of God if I'm not reading the word of God. It is hard to pray for others when I'm not praying myself. You see, one of the things here that we see here is the, the gospels where it starts for us in our journey of faith is not something that we should grow tired of hearing. You see, I'm, I understand just as you do that many times when we hear a basic reminder of what faith is and what living by faith is, we almost tune it out. I already know this. Give me something more in depth. And unfortunately, sometimes the very basics we mess up. The very basics of Christianity we are off in. The precious truth of eternal life is a gift so valuable, we should live with gratitude each and every single day for it. You see, one of the things that's unfortunate is a lot of people on this earth, when they, when they go to a funeral, for example, and they're reminded that life is short, we've all heard the emotional, right? We're glad for every day we have on this earth. We don't know how many days we have. And it's a good, sentimental thought. Believer, your thoughts should go beyond that. 
I am grateful every single day that God has given me the gospel, that God has given me Christ, that I have eternity awaiting me. It is more what is after this life than what's in this life. And I want to encourage you, believer, to always think eternity first, not this life first. It's easy to go, God, prolong what I have here. Keep me here long enough to see all my kids get married. I know that's one of my prayers. I really do have that. But am I looking at eternity as the bigger picture? You see, eternal life as a gift so valuable that we ought to be grateful for it every single day. Every single day, you wake up and you're grateful that God gave you the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what's unfortunate for so many of us is when we look at the gift of eternal life, we say that we value it, but everything in our lives screams that we don't value it because other things take such a higher priority. I, I want to encourage you parents, if you have children and you're having a good time as a family, remind them once again of how good God is. Don't just bask in the moment without remembering to go, thank you, Lord. I really appreciate this. What a good day out with my kids. What a great time to remind us, Lord, that you are so good to us. What a good God we serve. Gracious. Long-suffering. When your children mess up, remind them of God's grace in your life, which is number two, relying on grace. Galatians 3, 10 through 14. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse... For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham may come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You see, one of the things that we see here is the Galatians were trusting their works rather than trusting God. They started by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, but as we all do as believers when we start thinking we are doing pretty good, start trusting our works. I'm doing pretty good right now, Lord. You should be proud of me. And that's when you and I need to be reminded once again that we need to rely on grace. Grace is what matters during that time. The just shall live by faith, not by works. For a person to reach heaven based on their own doing, they must never commit a single sin. You and I do it the moment we're born, screaming for our parents' attention. We are selfish from birth. You never have to teach a child to be selfish. You never have a sit down, hey, here's how you think of yourself first. That never has to be the lesson you have to lay down. They do it by default. But you don't know what, you know, that's always what we hear. The truth is, for all of us, outside of Christ, there's no, none of us that can do the work perfectly and completely. Jesus is the only one. Jesus is the only one that gives us access to God. Not a family member, not a pastor, not a preacher, 
Not anyone on this earth or in times past can give us access to God except for Jesus. He's exclusive. Therefore, we must trust in God and Christ rather than in self. Now, so many of us as believers say, I trust God, but when you set up your weekly schedule, who is the reliance on? Who is the reliance on? Well, me, I'm a go-getter. I'm a type A personality. I'm going to knock this out. Look at me. Is that what runs our lives? Or is there a balance where we go back and go, Lord, listen, here's my schedule. Can you, can you help me prioritize this? Can you make sure I prioritize the right things? You see, I, I, I get convicted about this stuff all the time. I have certain things that I strive to, to see in our church, and then God convicts me and goes, well, you're not doing them. Why aren't you doing that? It's easy to preach. Hard to do. And that's one of the things here that we see is in the book of Romans and Galatians, Paul declares that justification by faith is the antithesis of justification by law. Living by faith is very different than living by works. Because living by works is always looking at your performance going, I did better, I'm good. Only to find that in pride you just failed again. Like whatever you just accomplished, you undid. The Pharisees, blinded by their faults, viewed themselves as perfect models of obedience. And you're like, well, you know, I'm not a Pharisee. I don't say that. I don't do that. Well, look at what the text says. They foolishly trusted in themselves rather than in God. Luke 18, 9 through 14. Here's what Jesus says. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Look at this next phrase. And despised others. Essentially, what they were doing is looking down on others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Here's the lesson. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. One of the truths here that we miss so frequently is that we don't even see ourselves being the Pharisee in this story. You ever prayed for someone else out of this cocky, I'm better than them perspective before God? Please tell me I'm not the only one. Or I'm praying for someone else and I'm thinking of all the things I'm doing better than they are. Essentially, this Pharisaical prayer is what many of us believers struggle with. Because what we do is we have this little checklist. Well, I tithe, they don't. I do this, they don't. My marriage is better, theirs isn't. Right? All these things, we're comparing. And what Jesus is saying is humility is what's required. Humility is what's required. Jesus came to fulfill the law perfectly. And in turn, gives us righteousness that we could never earn on our own. It was only through his death and resurrection. 
I love what C.S. Lewis made a statement that kind of ties into what Jesus says about the Pharisees, looking down at others. C.S. Lewis, I'm not quoting him verbatim, but he essentially said, when we're looking down at others, we can't look up to God. We're essentially putting ourselves above. You see, if we look up to God and we're humbling ourselves, we're not going to look down at others. Jesus became sin so we would no longer be bound by sin and the law. This faith is not simply a belief, as someone would say, of a person sitting on a chair, right? Like, we've used that illustration all the time. Just sitting on a chair, that's, that's placing faith. No, it's beyond that. It's in every circumstance believing that that is going to always be true. It will always withstand any pressure in my life because I have faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that believes that Jesus Christ is the only one that can save from sin. As soon as a believer starts changing things in their mind, they're no longer believing the truth. They're no longer relying on grace. As much as they can claim they are, they aren't. Spurgeon makes the statement, There's no more blessed way of living than the life of faith based upon a covenant-keeping God. To know that we have no care for he cares for us. That we need have no fear except to fear him. That we need have no troubles because we have cast our burdens upon the Lord and our conscience that he will sustain us. Believer, relying on grace is easier said than done. Relying on grace means that when you're looking at your performance each and every day, you remember that it's him and not you. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that is the truth. I look at myself at the end of a day, I go, man, Lord, I really blew it today. Am I, uh, am I cut out for what you've called me to? <laughs> See, the truth is, for all of us, living by grace is something that takes time to understand and learn. So many of us, we start in living by grace because when we first accept the gospel, don't you feel a freedom, right? Like, I just trusted Jesus. All of my sin has been washed away. And then all, as time goes on, there's sin that forms a wedge between us and God. There's a fellowship that's broken. There's a distorted view of reality. There's also a tendency to overlook certain things because we don't want to deal with them. I think we're more, I think there are certain sins you and I keep track of because they're easy for us to keep dealing with. And then there are others we just want to avoid because we just don't even want to bring them up. They're just too difficult to process sometimes. They're too, how can I say this, hard on our conscience. And God's calling us to deal with those things in grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin, right? We've used to sing that if you grew up in church. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within, right? Like we believe that. Or do we? Do you believe that today, years after you, be you became a believer? You see, the third thing that we see here in living by faith is striving with endurance. This ties into a little bit of what we've been talking about in the study in Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 36 through 39, here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Personally, I think it's Barnabas, but I could be wrong. For you have need of endurance, 
so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. He doesn't stop there. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. You see, living by faith is for the long haul. Living by faith is not a one-time decision. I prayed a prayer, and I'm just doing this, and I'm done. Living by faith means that day in, day out, I trust what God has done over and over and over again. I don't quit when it gets hard. And living by faith is not living based on your feelings. Our feelings are very deceptive which is one of the reasons why you shouldn't feel close to God just because you listen to a worship song automatically while you've been living in sin, nor should you feel far away from God simply because you're actually struggling with things in life and you've repented and done right by, by that. Your feelings can be very twisted at times, which is one of the reasons why you really can take a lot of things in people's lives and boil it down to this. If I'm living by feelings, I can no longer live consistently by faith. Because your feelings are going to tell you, I don't want to do what God's telling me to do. Frankly, it bothers me to have to do this. It's one of the reasons why we tell our kids when they're, when they're in high school, wait till marriage. Why? Because feelings are screaming something else. There's a lot of desires that we have to put to death simply because they are against what God says. Not because our feelings are not saying something different. The just shall live by faith. It's not a singular event confined to a distant point in time and space. Rather, this is a way of living. L let me ask you, believer, if you were to look over your Christian life, your Christian experience, how many times would you look back and say, you know what, that was me actually living by faith. I didn't even realize it. When, when I made this decision to do this instead of that, this was living by faith. I didn't see what the end result was going to be. I just trusted that God was right in what he said. Can I encourage you, believer, that if you haven't been faithfully living by faith, if you feel like you've not been enduring as you should, repent of that. Turn back to the Savior. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for him to strengthen your walk. I love, as that man says in the Gospels, Lord, Help my unbelief. Because the truth is, we all get there. I don't really believe this right now. Like, how do I know I'm going to make it to the end? That's essentially what the body of Christ is for, is to admonish, strengthen one another. God uses the body of Christ to help us in perseverance of faith. So many of us would have already walked out by now on a lot of things in life that God wants us to do if it wasn't for a brother or sister in our lives that God sent our way. I can tell you that with full assurance. There are many people in my life that God has used at different times in my life to go, hey, brother, you're off right now. Can I pray for you? Something's going on. Can I, can I help you out with something? Or, you're not seeing this. You're off here. You need to take care of this. 
This is going to damage you and your family. Those are all real things that God has used as tools in our lives. Those who have good and honest hearts before God bear fruit with patience. In Luke 8.15 we see that. That the good fruit is born with patience. Did you know that? The, the actual fruit that's produced is one that's out of endurance, out of perseverance. That's the good fruit that's produced. We, we kind of missed that part in the parable. Like it takes time for that to be produced. It isn't like sown, there it is. Harvest, instant. No, it takes time, patience. Eternal life belongs to those who patiently continue in doing good. In Romans chapter 2, verse 7, we see that. Before you were saved, sin separated you from God. As a believer now, after salvation, God commands you and I to separate from sin. You essentially said, Lord, I don't want sin, I want you. The question is, are you doing that today? Are you still saying, God, I hate the sin in my life. Please help me get rid of it. Or you're like, you know what, I'm fine with it right now. I'm just going to tolerate it for a bit. Hopefully later on, I'll be a little more convicted about it and I'll deal with it then. Here's a few things that living by faith is not. And I think we need to pay attention to this. Number one, it's not just sitting back and just trusting the Lord. Living by faith doesn't mean you just get to chill on a beach somewhere and relax. God's got it all under control. You do nothing. That's not what living by faith is. Faith is lived out and is not some mystical feeling of comfort we get. You actually need to put effort in. It's not a matter of just, it's all going to work out in the end. Who cares what I do? That is abusing the sovereignty of God. It makes us no different than the unsaved world if we do that. We are to regard God's instructions concerning money, marriage, family, ministry, etc. It's not just a wing it mentality. It'll work out. Imagine if your boss had that mentality at work. All right, listen, here's our, here's our, here's our company meeting. We're not going to care about quotas this time. We don't care how much we bring in, how much goes out. You're going to be paid no matter what. Is that going to work? No. Why? Because there's standards that need to be followed. That, that's that way with everything in life. And what blows, blows us away sometimes is that if we were to think through it, we have almost a lackadaisical view of faith in our own lives because we're expecting God to do what he's already enabled us to. He's already given us the Holy Spirit. He doesn't need to give us anything else. If all of it's been done by Christ and he's given you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, what else are you waiting for? It's unfortunate, but so many have just this, you know, let go and let God type of mentality. Like, who cares what I do? It'll work out. Garbage theology. Living by faith is also not living comfortably because our sins are forgiven. The truth is, the opposite is true. You are at war with sin. You are not to make peace with it. You are still enemies. You're not to just be comfortable. I've been forgiven, so who cares? You're essentially going with the argument that Paul's opposing in Romans. 
Is that, shall we sin more so grace can abound? God forbid. No, you don't do that. Stop abusing the grace of God. God does comfort us when we fall into sin and turn it back and repent. But that does not give us an excuse to continue living in that sin. That is not what living by faith is. Well, living by faith is also not something that only very spiritual people do. You know, pastors, they really live by faith. Only spiritual people. No, all believers are to live by faith. If you look through the book of Hebrews, particularly chapter 11, you see examples of people that blew it, that blew it big time and live by faith. So believer, if you're sitting there wondering this morning, like, I don't know if I'm really living by faith. You have been living by faith, but just not as consistently as you ought to. Or maybe you've neglected this discipline of living by faith and you need to repent and turn back to God. Trust him once again. Stop trusting yourself. Stop avoiding the obvious in your life. You see, there are two types of people typically in the world. The ones that try to face every problem with themselves or avoid every problem that they don't want to deal with. And then you got the mix of people in the middle. But typically, we, have, we pick and choose, right? It's like a la carte. I'll deal with this, I won't deal with that. And that's the way it goes in our Christian life. We have certain sins we have no problem dealing with. You know, everybody does this, so I'm going to say I do it. What about the other stuff that you don't want to admit to doing? What about the other stuff that really is controversial? Maybe probably makes you squirm to think that you do those things. God knows them. You're not hiding them from him. God's not confused. He's looking at you like you're confused. Like, like I don't know this already? I sent Jesus because I knew you were going to do these things. And so... Brothers and sisters, be encouraged. This isn't time for despair. This is a time for encouragement that God already knows the past, the present, and the future. So repent. Turn back to him. Just as God is willing to forgive so many sinners around this world, he's willing to forgive you once again. Confess. See, the truth is, it's not just super spiritual people that are to live by faith, because throughout the scripture, you have average people that do. You have examples like Noah, Gideon, Rahab, a prostitute that lived by faith. So what are practical ways that we can live by faith today? Well, number one, just a few examples. Living by faith will be evident in our actions slash feelings. In Galatians 5, 22 through 26, here's what we read. We're all familiar with this text. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. There are certain traits that need to be in our lives if we're to live by faith. And there are things that we need to avoid and push back on. Notice what it says at the end there. 
to not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Your goal is never to outdo somebody, only to show them up. Your walk with God should be your walk with God, and you should not compare. As far as qualification goes, obviously we ought to care for one another if someone's struggling, to help them back up. That's a very different type of care. There's the other care where we're just being nosy in each other's business, where we don't belong. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind to one another, you know this verse, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. You see, here's the thing. The truth is every believer, if they're to live by faith, should not hold bitterness to anybody in the church. Every believer that lives by faith should not hold bitterness towards somebody in the church. Because the example that they are to follow is not another brother or sister, but Jesus. If anyone had the right to be bitter towards people, it would be Jesus. His own best friends disowned him. His own best friend said, I don't want to be a part of this. He's about to go down. But Jesus loved them. Jesus forgave even on the cross. You see, living by faith will produce an inner self-control. There's a lot of things you and I want to say sometimes that we ought not to say. You ever been there? You're about to... Holy Spirit said, no. In fact, you probably scream, shut up, internally. You ever been in the middle of a conversation where you're like, oh my goodness, why did I just say this? Why did this come out of my mouth? You see, living by faith will produce a peace that nothing in this world will offer. You see, the reason why so many Christians are stressed out and anxious and always freaking out over everything going on in the world is because they don't live in this. They live in Fox News and CNN and everything else out there. You can have your media sources. You should obviously be paying attention to what's going on in the world. But goodness, if you live in those resources and you go to them for your input every day, you're going to have a lot of anxiety. see, faith is to be something that we have that endures. Endurance is necessary in living by faith. And there are feelings that are biblical. It's not like God made us emotionless. He gave us emotions. They are to be aligned with his word. It should move us when we see a brother or sister that's not following God the way they ought to. It should move us to tears when there are people around us that need the gospel. Those are godly emotions. It should move you when you and I sin before God to be broken heart over our own sin. Living by faith will also be evident in our view of ourselves before God. This is a big one for some of you here this morning. In Luke 12, 6 through 7, Jesus makes this statement. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are, no, are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Some of you do not think God values you. And I'm telling you, based on what Jesus says here, he does. 
You're a child of his. He values you. And he values you based on what his son he sent on this earth to die for you. It's on the basis of what Jesus did that God values us as his children. God values all of his creation, but his own he loves with a special love. Just like you as a parent love your children differently than all the other children out there. When we see that God holds us valuable, we will live this life differently. You want to know why you and I beat ourselves up all the time? Because we don't really believe God values us. And no, we're not valuable based on what we've done. Remember, the identity is in Christ. You swapped with him. He became sin for you. So that you could be the righteousness of God. You don't have that in and of yourself. Because of the blood of Christ, you have value. All glory still belongs to him, not to you and me. So many Christians beat themselves up over what they look like, how much money they make, what people think of them. They lose sight of what matters most. What does God think? What does God think? You're his child, he values you. Even in discipline, he values you. The statement is made, to, made by Jesus to disciples to show them that God is the only opinion that really matters. Why are we so caught up with everybody else's take on our lives? Do you know that sometimes people have misconceptions of what you really are? Ever had that happen? People assume you're a certain way, but you really aren't that way? God really knows. He really knows. Third thing is, living by faith will be evident by changing our lives. We talked about this in 1 John 3, 7 through 10. I'm just going to read this text once again. Just recently discussed this. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. The truth is, believer, there needs to be a change in your life. And if your life is exactly the same as it was before you met Jesus, you may not have met Jesus. Changing our lives is more evident by the response that we have with circumstances that others face that are similar. You take a believer, you take a non-believer, they face the same trials in life, the believer's going to come out differently. The believer's going to process it differently. The believer's response will be different. You take a believer that's struggling with cancer, a non-believer that's struggling with cancer, the believer's going to have a trust in the sovereign hand of God even when it hurts. A child of God puts into practice a life that glorifies God by living uprightly, righteously. A sad reality for many in the church today, though, is that there isn't a difference. Many times we can't tell. We can't tell if that person's really a believer or not. We don't see any evidence, really, in their life. And they kind of do some of the similar things. 
They kind of do a little bit different here and there, but really, there's not enough evidence. Christianity is mocked because many are not living by faith because the evidence is simply not there. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. Faith is a refusal to panic. So believer, if you're one of those paranoid people on Facebook, can I encourage you to stop doing that? Do you believe God is in control or not? All your friends that don't know Jesus, when you tell them, it's all over, we're all doomed, what message are they getting? That you don't trust the God of the Bible. That God really isn't in control. That the government has more say in your life than God does. quite simple at times. A person who lives by faith knows God's in control and they don't fall apart when it seems impossible. A.W. Pink says this, faith endures as seeing him who is invisible, endures the disappointments, the hardships, and the heartaches of life by recognizing that all comes from the hand of him who is too wise to err and too loving to be unkind. Do you believe that? In closing, are you living by faith? Oh, we, we, we all say that, right? It's a very common phrase we've heard. Yes, I'm living by faith. The question is for you personally, are you living by faith? If you have never trusted Christ, that's your first step. You have to absolutely start with that. The gospel message needs to be believed before you can live by faith. You have to believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on your behalf died, was buried, and rose again the third day. If you've, you and I have believed that, we ought to move on in other areas. We don't move on from the gospel, we move on in other areas, meaning we battle sin now, actively. You struggle with faith because you put too little stock sometimes in what the gospel is. You ought to fight sin out of understanding what the gospel is, constantly. You and I will truly see sin differently if we keep understanding the value of what Jesus did. Whenever you're tempted and you remember, this is what Jesus died for. You should pause before we do that. If you're a follower of Christ, how much do you rely on grace instead of your own performance? I mean, be honest with yourself. How much did you rely on grace this last week? Or your wonderful planning? Hopefully you don't have the other side of it, right? The wing it mentality. God will work it all out in the end. That's horrible too. That's not any better than relying only on yourself. It gets tough in this life. But there needs to be discipline and endurance to finish the race. It's a race. It takes time. Living by faith means that you have steps to take in your life. Steps that you wouldn't do on your own, apart from the grace of God. Stop getting discouraged when you fail. Believer, always be encouraged that the righteous man gets back up. That's a verse for you to keep living on. The righteous still gets back up. Doesn't mean the righteous never falls, they do. I mean, look at the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. Oh, they fell. But they still live by faith. 
Living by faith is a process that takes time for most of us. There's a few that God calls home on the deathbed. That's a process that usually takes time for most of us. Living by faith does not mean that it always makes sense. Fighting sin doesn't always make sense. In our minds, it's like, I want to do this. Why would it be wrong? Living by faith is trusting that God knows better, and that's why I do it his way. The reward is worth the fight. One of the greatest things, and I know you've probably read stories on this, but there are times when, I don't know as a parent, if you've ever had this experience, I have, watching your children playing or being interacting with others, and you're almost curious to see how they respond. You want to see if they're going to do the right thing or not when someone takes something away from them or when somebody pushes them, says something they shouldn't say to them. And all of us would have probably different standards in our homes. Hey, hey, this is what I would want you to do if this happened. I'm not arguing any of that. But I want you to pause for a minute and realize one thing. That God sees all of our lives. And as a father that watches his children, he does pay attention to what we're doing. And instead of always viewing him as someone that wants to discipline because you've done wrong, also view him as a God who sees when you do right, even when no one else does. That you did right, daughter. You did right, son. Thank you for taking the life of faith seriously. A.W. Pink, in closing, says this, Daily living by faith on Christ is what makes the difference between the sickly and the healthy Christian, between the defeated and the victorious saint. Let's close in prayer.